Well, hey friends, it is so good to have you join us again today as we are kicking off a new series. And I think the series is going to hit home for a lot of us. Uh, and we don't really talk about this topic very openly a lot, but we're tackling loneliness. Kind of that big sneaky thing that's kind of everywhere, touching our lives in ways that we might not even notice. And I have to be honest, before doing the research on the topic, I really had no idea how big and prevalent this topic of loneliness has become in our culture. And when we talk about loneliness, it's more than just this feeling of uh, bit, being a bit solo or being by yourself on a Friday night. It's a deep sense that can sneak up on anyone, no matter who you are or where you're from. And as we talk, go through this talk, I want you to think about those times that you have felt alone and how this common thread ties us all together. And as I was writing this, I was thinking about the last time I was not alone but felt very alone. It was a, a few months back. I was in a group setting with a lot of other pastors. Now, since we were all pastors, we did have some similarities, but the differences were pretty striking. And if you know anything about me at all, you know that I'm a little different than a lot of pastors. I have a lot more questions, and I'm a lot more open to exploring what I would call the dark corners of faith, you know, the, the questions that some pastors honestly just want to avoid. So here I am on a three-night retreat with 20 other guys, of which I only knew one other person. It happened to be Pastor Doug, who invited me to attend this event. Now, you may not know this about me, but I'm actually pretty introverted when I get into a crowd. So I was, it was already going to be painful for me because I was in a room full, I mean absolutely full, of extroverted people. Well, during our unstructured time, unstructured time I try to engage some of these guys in some deeper conversations about faith and topics, and mainly because I don't really enjoy small talk at all. So as I engaged, it seemed that my attempts at getting to something deeper was just being met with all of these huge walls. No one was going to let anyone inside. And during one conversation in particular, I think my questions were just a little too much for this guy because he said something to me about having to step inside and do some task. But when he left, the task apparently was to sit down at another group of t guys at a table and play cards. I guess he just wanted to get away from me. So here I was in a house with 20 pastors, and I felt misunderstood and alone. You ever experienced that sensation in your life? Like perhaps during a group gathering, take Christmas, that was just, you know, just a few moments ago it seems like. Uh, you may have been surrounded by numerous people, but maybe you felt isolated. It's because they don't fully understand what it is that you're experiencing. Maybe they can't grasp the emotions that you're dealing with this divorce that you're processing or the financial struggles that you're encountering or the stress of running a business or the frustration of having demanding parents. And because they don't get you or they don't get what you are going through, you feel isolated and you feel very alone. So even though you're in a crowd in that instant, you can feel incredibly isolated. You ever had that feeling? Maybe it's at work, you know, and people are expressing their sympathy. Like someone hears about your health crisis and they offer you condolences. And so you receive a message of thoughts and prayers or people drop the prayer hand emojis in the company chat. But you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, I don't think they really understand, right? They, they don't grasp my struggles or, or they don't know what I'm truly facing. So... You're connected to others, but in some ways you feel utterly alone. The truth is, even though we might not be alone, nowadays we feel lonelier than ever, especially in our culture. 
What's interesting to me, in 2021, the Survey on American Life uh, did this extensive survey that, has show, that showed there's been a cultural shift that's contributing to the growing problem of loneliness. And in it, what they did was they investigated childhood loneliness through kind of various methods, and the findings were at least pretty startling to me. Let me give them up to you. So the silent generation, right, these are the parents of the boomers, 14% said they experienced significant loneliness in childhood. Then when it came to the boomers, 24% experienced loneliness. Then Gen X, it was 35%. And then there's a pretty big leap when we get to the millennials. We get to millennials, it goes to 48%. And then for Gen Z, 56% reported prolonged periods of loneliness in their youth. Clearly, there's been a cultural transformation. So the question is, how did we reach kind of this state a widespread loneliness? How did we become so isolated in our lives? What, what led to this situation? Well, there's a guy named Robert D. Putman, and he spent a lot of time researching how we got to this place. And he's written a number of books and articles, but let me summarize it here. Here's his main takeaway. Go back to the early 20th century, and what mattered most during that time was your network of connections. It was all about who you knew. If you needed a trustworthy mechanic, you had to ask someone. If you wanted a good place to eat, you couldn't just scroll through Yelp reviews. You had to ask around, looking for a specific tool or a store or somebody to help you out with childcare. Your network of people was your lifeline. It was essential for getting by. In addition, People were constantly engaging with others, right? There was no shopping online. You had to actually interface with someone face-to-face in the community. And social clubs were a big deal. So there were these things, you know, they, clubs were thriving, stuff you don't see much of today. Places like the Optimus Club, the Rotary Club, the Lion Club, the Junior League, right? These were big deals. And we used to be just so much more connected in those days. But then, towards the end of the century, a shift began to happen, a shift that was accelerated by the development of the internet and the ubiquity of smartphones, and then more recently, the impact of COVID. Gradually, one thing became increasingly crucial to us, right? The thing that was crucial, it became a priority even over our social networks, and that was easy access to information. Where before you needed a social network, now we have access to a massive network online. Thus, I don't need as many people in my life. I just don't. And so we can cocoon ourselves at home. We can work from home. We can order food to our doorstep, shop online without ever leaving our couch. Like, no need to ask for recommendations. All you got to do is just check the plethora of online reviews, and you have it right there. Now, we can craft a life centered entirely around our own convenience and independence without needing to know anyone or manage any complex relationships. It's all about our comfort and self-reliance and our complete independence from anyone else. And here's what I've noticed. As personal consumption gets easier and more convenient, forming personal connections seems to be harder and harder. And for many, it can even be a burden. So building and maintaining relationships, it it can feel like too much effort because our lives are increasingly centered around convenience and independence. So, So now maybe hosting a dinner 
or socializing feels like a hassle. So you go out to eat, but you go as a couple so you can avoid the inconvenience of inviting someone along. Or maybe you're someone who doesn't invite people out anymore because you're afraid that they're going to say yes out of some sort of obligation. And since you don't want to barge in on someone's independence, you just don't ask anymore. And what we're left with is a large number of people doing it all solo, shielding ourselves from the messiness of real relationships. So here's why we need to talk about this, right? Here's why we need to discuss how to build meaningful connections and relationships. Because as believers, loneliness is not just affecting us mentally and physically. It's affecting us spiritually. It's not just a mental and physical thing, which would be enough to talk about. It's affecting us spiritually. It is having a massive effect on our soul. It's like our souls are withering away from the inside for a lack of meaningful connection. And that creeping loneliness is lethal. And it's happened so subtly that many of us don't even recognize. This is why the conversation is crucial. So how do we have the conversation? How, how do you find those deep, meaningful relationships? How do you create stronger connections, especially in a world where it seems like maintaining relationships is more of a hassle than ever? Where do you start? Or why should you even try? Let, let me begin by answering the last question. Why try? Oh, I don't have that here. Why try? I believe the arc of Scripture points out that we are relational beings. We're all wired to have those face-to-face, -face, heartfelt conversations where there's mutual care and understanding. That's why I believe this is important. That is what we're made for. Think about it. You're built with those moments for your friends where you laugh so hard that your stomach aches. You're, you're meant to uplift others and to be uplifted. You're meant to have an impact on people's lives and let them influence yours, to have those wow moments where you walk away from a great chat just bursting with meaning. So how do you find them? That's exactly what we're going to explore in this series, and here's the plan for today. We're going to take a look at some verses from the book of Ecclesiastes, you may or may not have read that, that shows where we're designed for deep relationships. Then we'll talk about why this is so difficult and then we're going to wrap up with one simple action that I would like you to try this week. You ready to jump in? Well, I've been waiting all week, so I know I am. If you want, you can go ahead and you can open your Bible or open your Bible app and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. But before we read that, let me cover a major theme in Scripture. And it begins way back in Genesis with the creation of Adam and Eve. And it continues all the way through the Exodus to the prophets and all the way into the early church in Acts chapter 2. And that theme is this. God has created us to do things together in relationship. And in Scripture, independence isn't seen as a sign of spiritual maturity or success. You won't find stories in the Bible celebrating a hero who claims to have achieved everything alone without God or without anybody else's help. Instead... What Scripture emphasizes is interdependence. It's about communities of people living together. It's about surrendering to God, serving and loving others. It's not about a solitary life where one feels that they don't need anyone else and they can just order everything to their doorstep. This idea challenges 
our current culture that says, hey, true success is found in independence. All right, so that's the arc of Scripture. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is written by a man named Solomon, there's an example that highlights the pitfalls of pursuing independence. It talks about a man who works tirelessly to amass wealth. He's seeking financial independence, all the material comforts that he desires. And despite his success, he comes to a profound realization. He asks himself, why am I working so hard to sacrifice all these connections and relationships with others? And he recognizes this pursuit of stuff is meaningless and depression. Depressing. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4, let's jump in, where he says, Once again, I saw that nothing on earth makes sense. For example, some people don't have friends or family. So right away, Solomon says that he's observed something that does not make sense. And what is it that doesn't make sense? Right? The thing that doesn't make sense to him is someone who doesn't have family or friends. Now, Family, you don't have a whole lot of control over. I know you wish you do, but you don't. Friends, that is something that's up to you. And so to Solomon, it doesn't make any sense to not have friends. And he's going to tell us why it doesn't make sense as he continues. You are better having a friend than to be all alone. Because then you will get more enjoyment out of what you earn. More enjoyment. And here's Solomon, he's addressing this fundamental truth about human existence, the value of companionship. He tells us that having a friend enriches our lives far more than solitary success ever could. And when we share our achievements, when we share our joys, when we share even the fruits of our labor with a friend, that enjoyment is magnified. My friends and I, we talk about this a lot. Between us, we've been to some pretty amazing places by ourselves. Hawaii, Dominican Republic, Africa, Australia, just to name a few. But while it's fun to kind of talk about those experiences, it doesn't hold a candle to the shared experiences that we've had together, going to places like Napa Valley, the Rocky Mountains, St. Kitts, Nevis, or just the simple places like a porch in the North Carolina mountains. Those shared experiences have an emotional connection that comes with them. This verse emphasizes that life's true rewards are found not in isolation or an individual accomplishment, but in shared journey of friendship and community. Solomon is reminding us that our achievements have greater meaning and bring more joy when experienced with others. And he goes on. If you fall, your friend can help you up. But if you fail or fall without having a friend nearby, you are really in trouble. And we can all probably agree with that, right? Going through tough times is challenging, but facing them alone is much more difficult. Whether it's dealing with cancer or a broken marriage or financial, tr financial troubles, going through hardship without support can lead to even more negative outcomes. We've all seen that. And on top of that, Scripture teaches us that we have an enemy that seeks to isolate us to make us believe that we don't need God or others. And this kind of isolation can lead us to some of the darkest moments in our life, which just highlights the importance of community and support, especially in adversity. So he goes on, he says, 12, someone might be able to beat up one of you, but not both of you. As the saying goes, a rope made from three strands of cord is hard to break. If it's not obvious... 
What Solomon is talking about here is much, much larger than just physical strength. He's given us a very profound metaphor for the power of unity and support. So imagine you're planning, let's keep it simple, imagine you're planning a move. If you've ever moved, you know this is exciting, but it's a daunting task, especially if you're thinking about doing it all by yourself. And so you start by packing the boxes, and soon you're surrounded by a maze of cardboard and memories, and it is all so overwhelming, and the thought of lifting all of these boxes, not to mention the heavy furniture, is enough to make any normal person reconsider their decision to move. But imagine then that your friends come into the picture. One friend, they're great at organizing, and suddenly all your belongings are they're sorted efficiently. Another friend has a knack for heavy lifting, and so those boxes, they don't seem intimidating anymore. And there's that friend who comes who brings laughter and music, and he turns a stressful task into a fun activity. Or maybe you're facing something a lot more serious than just a move. Maybe you get some bad news from the doctor. And anyone who has gone through this will tell you a health crisis can be incredibly daunting and isolating. And so on your own, trying to navigate the complexities of healthcare, your treatment options, and all the emotional toll that it can take on you can be like feeling like being lost in a stormy sea, right? trying to keep your head above the water. But let's take that same scenario and let's say you have a support system. Maybe a friend becomes your advocate, right? They start researching all of the treatments. They start speaking with the doctors. Then another close friend, close friend steps in to offer emotional support. They're there to listen. They share your fears, your hopes. They're reassuring you that you're not alone on this journey. And then you got another close friend who comes and offers practical help, like driving you back and forth to appointments or preparing meals. In either situation, each friend is a strand in a strong rope helping to hold you together when you might otherwise feel like falling apart. Going it alone, whether it's moving or something more serious like cancer or divorce or the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or some parenting struggle or a mental health crisis, going it alone is not going to be easy. But when life hits you hard, because when life hits you hard, it can be overwhelming. But with the support of others, it becomes a shared journey. Each strand in that rope, the advocate, the emotional support, the practical help, it intertwines to provide a composite strength that you can't even come close to on your own. So Solomon is painting this picture of close friends working together to make each of us stronger and enjoying all that life has to offer in close community. And I imagine... All of us have some kind of desire for those kind of relationships. And while there's a lot of things that get in the way of us having friends like that, Solomon talks about things like, like our schedule, our fear of meeting people, or, or maybe our own introvertedness, right? I think in today's world, one of the biggest challenges to developing deep, meaningful relationships is this right here. Well, maybe yours doesn't have the Georgia Tech logo, but it, it's our phones, right? Our attachment to our devices. We're often so glued to our screens, scrolling through social media, responding to endless notifications that we miss the opportunities for real human connection that are right there in front of us. Ironically, our phones were meant to connect us, but more times than not, they actually create a barrier, right? Absorbing time and attention that could be spent nurturing deep and meaningful 
relationships. And this tethering to technology, it can lead to a superficial sense of connection. Right? We may have hundreds of online friends. We may have thousands of online friends or followers. But when it comes to someone to share our deepest thoughts and fears with, we can also find ourselves lacking. There, there is this concept that really captures the challenge for both you and me. And uh, if you know it, you know it. It's called Dunbar's Number, named after Robin Dunbar, a psychologist at Oxford. And Dunbar's research focuses on the cognitive limits of human relationships. And according to the findings, uh, a person can have like 1,500 what we'll just call acquaintances. These, mainly these are social. These are online because there's no way that you know 1,500 people. But these are your friends on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever your social platforms are. It could be a few hundred, it could be many more thousands, but essentially here you go, 1,500. Out of those, 500 might be people that you're somewhat familiar with, right? And, and these are some maximums that he's putting here. These would be people that you would either recognize in person or out in public whose maybe their social media posts that you like those, you kind of recognize those, even if you don't remember it clearly. Um, they might even be people that you see here at church in the lobby each week. You recognize them. You might even remember their name, but you don't really know that much about them at any real level. That would be this circle of people. Now, Dunbar suggests, here's where it starts getting critical, that we can only maintain about 150 actual relationships, friendships, 150. And within this group of 150, 35 relationships are of higher quality. That's what he calls them. This forms what some people call your village, okay? 35 that you kind of interact with on a regular basis that are there. Of those 35, uh, you can have about 15 that are what he calls close friendships. And among them, you can really only maintain about five what he would call best friends. These are people who truly understand you, are deeply connected to you. Uh, these are the people who know you in everything about your life. They know all of your challenges. Uh, they are there for you. Now, here's the thing. If I asked you to identify your 1,500 acquaintances, it'd be pretty easy, right? You could pull up your social media. You could say, hey, here's my 1,500. But what about pointing out the 15 or the five who genuinely know you? And, and, and if I asked you, well, who are the two or three or four of your best friends? You know, people you see on a regular basis. You see them in person. You hang out with them. You have drinks with them, share meals with them. These are people who know everything about you. You laugh with them. You cry with them. They're your first call when life hits the fan, and they're your first call when something happens great. Why is it simpler to acknowledge a vast number of superficial connections than a smaller number of true friends. Because it's easier and more convenient to spend more time on social media with the 1,500 than nurturing the in-person relationships with our 15 close friends or maybe our five best friends. Now, that's a problem for those of us who call ourselves Christians. Because as Christians, we're supposed to be following what Jesus modeled for us. And, and while he does model times of solitude... He does not model isolation and independence. There's a great example that we see in his life around friendships, and it occurs at a crisis moment in his life. On the night before Jesus is arrested, and then later killed, on the night he actually was arrested and then later killed, he faces his most challenging moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And if you notice, as he approached that moment, he didn't turn to his wider group of 12 disciples. Instead, he chose his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. He chose them to confide in and to share in his deepest anguish. And here's how it's recorded in Matthew. He told them, those three, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here with me and keep watch with me. This moment shows the importance of having our closest friends who understand our struggles. If Jesus needed deep friendship, surely we do too, perhaps even more so. So knowing this and wanting to follow his example, how do we apply this? How can we apply this idea of getting to friendship? So I can summarize it with one word. Oh, I don't have the word here. Uh, Intentionality. (laughs) I will get that. Intentionality. You never do any of the most important things in life without intentionality. This applies to our finances. You never accidentally get out of debt. This applies to our careers. It applies to our marriage, parenting. But this also applies to our friendships. If you don't get intentional about developing meaningful friendships, it will never happen. Now this slide. Because meaningful friendships aren't stumbled upon, they're fought for. Meaningful friendships aren't stumbled upon, they're fought for. In other words, you have to be intentional or proactive in building and maintaining friendships. Meaningful connections with others doesn't just happen spontaneously or by chance. They require deliberate effort and they require planning. You can't simply wait or hope for friendships to develop or deepen on their own. If you want to break out of loneliness and have some friendships that flourish, it doesn't come through passive expectation, but through active participation and effort. you got to intentionally create opportunities for interaction rather than waiting for them to just come up. Jesus, he spent intentional, meaningful time with Peter, James, and John. So when he needed three friends to just be with him as he faced what was in front of him, right, to know the challenge in front of him, they were there. He wasn't all alone in the crowd. Now, back to that story I was telling you about in the beginning. It happens that Pastor Doug, as I mentioned, he invited me. He was also at that gathering. And at just the right time, as I was sitting alone, he pulled up a chair, and this is basically what he said to me. He said, hey, you're my friend, and I believe in you. And in that moment, I wasn't alone anymore. Because a friend said, hey, I see you and I believe in you. All these other guys here, they may see a lot of different things and they may see things differently than you, but you're not alone. I'm here with you and I believe in you. And here is what I believe to my core. Beneath your feelings of loneliness is a longing to be truly understood. It's about being understood. Beneath your feelings of loneliness lies a fundamental human longing to be understood and known. This yearning to be known is part of our design by God. So having people in your life who genuinely know you is essential. And the absence of those connections can be deeply harmful. But the good news of the gospel is that God knows you completely and he loves you unconditionally so much that he sent his son Jesus to be with you always and to encourage the formation of relationships with others. This is the purpose behind this series. So here's what we're going to do over the next three weeks. We're going to help you take steps 
towards what God has designed in your life. Next week, we're going to talk about how you can reduce loneliness by being present with other people during tough times. And then two weeks, we're going to talk about how to lean on Jesus in times of rejection and abandonment. And then we're going to wrap up this whole series on how to build meaningful connections with other people. But this week, let's go here. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. And it is as straightforward as it is difficult. This week, I want you to choose two people and have a meaningful conversation with them. Pick two people and have a meaningful conversation. Like engage in something that matters. Go beyond the usual small talk. Don't talk about the weather. Don't talk about sports. Don't talk about anything like that. So maybe what you do is you call up a friend and you invite them for coffee or out for a drink and you make it clear, hey, I'm looking to have a deep, genuine discussion. Or maybe you find someone here at church that you want to get to know better and you ask them out for lunch or coffee where you ask meaningful questions. Or at work, try asking a colleague something not work-related, a meaningful question. Share something about yourself. And I know for some of you this sounds daunting, but believe me, the effort is going to be incredibly rewarding. Meaningful friendships aren't stumbled upon, they're fought for. And we're here to support you in this fight, to help you discover more meaning in your life and to embrace the hope and purpose that God intended for you from the very beginning. Let's pray together. So, Jesus, we're really thankful for all the love and care that you give us and we thank you for your insight into not only getting to know you, but how do we have awesome friends in our lives. Jesus, I pray that you give us the wisdom, the strength, and the courage we need to find the right kind of people to go deep with. And I pray that by the end of this series, we'll be a little more like you, challenged for the better with more purpose, more smiles, and surrounded by folks who genuinely have our backs and who we really care about too this in your name. Amen. Well, hey friends, thanks for joining us today. If you think today's message might be valuable to somebody that you know, would you mind sharing this video? Not only could it be helpful for them, but by sharing and liking this content as well as subscribing to this channel, uh, you help us to accomplish our mission to raise the reputation of Jesus. And along those lines, there's some other things you can do to help us. You can help us by heading over to our website at nextlevelchurch.org and clicking the give button that's there. You can choose one of the options that we have. We've got many ways to give. Your faithful support helps us to raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play by continuing to create content like this and all that our church does. Now, by way of benediction, uh, let me reread to you that verse from Proverbs chapter thir 13, verse 20 again, where it says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. May you, this week, fight for your closest relationships and may you find strength, support, and resilience in your shared journey with friends, amen? Hey guys, have a blessed week. I hope we can see you back again, hopefully in person, this next week as we continue in our series on loneliness.